you're married, uh, there's a reason God has you here. There's some things that God wants to say to you specifically. And my advice is to listen to what he's saying and obey. Uh, He also has your spouse here for a reason. Because he has some things that he wants to say to them. But that's his job and his role, not yours. All right? So be quiet. Pay attention to what he's saying to you. All right? And let God speak to them in the way that he needs to. If you're single, we're super glad that you're here because we need you. All right? It's not an accident that you're at a a series on relationships and marriage for a few reasons. Uh, The first is most of you are going to be married someday. So paying attention now to what God expects of a godly marriage is so incredibly important. Uh, Not only that, but even if you're never married, a lot of times we uh, talk to married folks and we're like, yo, uh, you need to understand how to care for and encourage single people that are in the congregation. And that's absolutely true. But the reverse is totally true as well. All right? Single folks don't get a pass. We need you to understand the complexities and difficulties of marriage. We need you to do your role in this body because you are massively important to who we are as a church and who we're becoming. And married couples need you to help them live the calling that God's placed on their lives. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're here and you're gay, I want to say something to you. Um, you are loved and you are welcome at this church. Okay? Uh, I can't even begin to imagine... Uh, how painful it could potentially be to sit through a six-week series on marriage, especially as we talk about it as a covenant, a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. But I want you to know that God knows. God knows the pain that you're experiencing, and he's with you, and he loves you. Uh, Every single one of us, whether we're gay, straight, married, single, we all have a broken sexuality. None of us nail this. None of us get it right. Uh, Whether or not you can express your sexuality uh, has nothing to do with your value or worth in our church, in the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't able to express his sexuality. Neither was John the Baptist or Mother Teresa or so many others. And yet they fulfilled everything that God desired of them. And they were massively, I mean, it's kind of stupid to even say this. They were massively needed for the kingdom of God to have the success that it had. I'm talking about Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, of course, Jesus was needed, right? Uh, And that's true of all of us. And so uh, I also want to say, like, if your marriage is in a rough spot right now, this series isn't going to fix everything, but it will hopefully be a step in the right direction of hope. In fact, I hope what you experienced this morning in our conversation uh, actually begins a movement towards hope, that God can still transform things God can still move and, and work, and hope is, is available. Growth is still available. Uh, we promised each other last week uh, that we would give each other grace, right? Uh, I'm not always going to get everything right. I'm not always going to say things perfectly. Uh, none of us do, and so we're going to offer each other grace. Uh, also, we want to make sure that we all understand the reality that we can't cover everything in this series, all right? Uh, this morning, you're going to hear me like really briefly talk about one topic that we're not going to touch probably the rest of our time together. Uh, let's just acknowledge that reality, uh, but also say, God, you've got certain things for me to hear. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is that uh, relationships are messy, <laughs> right? I mean, sinful people that are selfish, uh, that get together, uh, whether it's in a marriage or in a friendship or anything else, uh, we bring mess with us. Uh, we're going to be okay with messy and recognize that God wants to enter into our mess and begin to do things in our lives. Cool? Yes. Awesome. So, um, I want to tell you guys about a, uh, a recurring nightmare 
that I used to have after Brenda and I got married. Uh, it would probably happen every year or two. Uh, I don't remember in, in this nightmare that I was having um, if Brenda and I had been married and then she had left me or if we uh, had never quite gotten to marriage, but I knew that we were supposed to be. But regardless, uh, every time that I would have this, this nightmare, uh, I would know that we were supposed to be married and we weren't anymore. And I would see Brenda in different places. Sometimes it was at a mall where it was like super crowded and busy. And I'm doing everything I can to try to get her attention, to talk to her, because I, I want to win her back. Uh, I, I, I'm looking for opportunities to try to engage with her. Sometimes she can't see me. Sometimes she doesn't want to talk with me. Sometimes she's with our kids. And I'm not in the picture anymore. Uh, I can remember one time where it was this faceless, nameless person that she was already with. And I would have these, these nightmares like every couple of years or so. And I was like, I can't even begin to describe to you what I felt. Like there was like this... This sadness, emptiness, sickness. I mean, these were like the worst things that I, the worst nightmare I've ever experienced in my life. And I would literally wake up from these dreams, from these nightmares, and it would take me a second to like calibrate reality. Uh, I, I would wake up and there would be almost like a, a metallic taste in my mouth, like this gross feeling. And, and all of a sudden it would start to come back that uh, it was just a dream. It was just a dream. And, uh, man, I can tell you for the next day or two, I would be like the best husband ever. Like, <laughs> like whatever it takes, all right? Uh, I used to joke with Brenda that I had these dreams because of the time that she dumped me when we were in college. All right? I shared this story before. Uh, she dumped me by using a line that she had le- read off the back of a Fruit Loops box at breakfast that morning in the cafeteria. No joke. Yeah, she I know. You guys have heard maybe that story. But, like, I was by myself in college, like, before people were coming in. Don't try to excuse it. No. Yeah. Right? Well, it was, it was a, yeah, it was she a She literally a dropped box. this line. This is the line. Variety <laughs> is the spice of life. That's what she said to me. I'm not, she said, variety is the spice of life, Torn. I think we should see other people. I was like broken. All right, so we always joked that like. Well, two can't Sam is pretty two wise. Can, <laughs> two can't Sam pretty is very wise. wise. I always joked that like that's the reason that I would have these dreams because she had dumped me with from two can't Sam. Uh, but I actually don't think that was really the reason that I was having uh, those nightmares. Uh, today we really want to do three things uh, this morning. Uh, the first thing we want to do is we want to give you a very brief understanding uh, of what makes Christian marriage unique. What makes it distinctive? And then talk why that matters. And then we're going to share, actually I'm going to share what God has been up to in our marriage in the last few years to offer hope even amidst our messiness. Yeah. And then we want to close just by um, talking a little bit about what we've learned uh, about how God can actually grow your marriage, some things that he might want to do, very practical ways uh, that will help you engage with land. How do I actually do this? Is that cool? All right. Hey, grab your Bibles. We're going to jump into a text in the book of Malachi. Malachi. If you're like, where in the world is Malachi? Uh, Find Matthew. Find Matthew and then flip back one book and you will find Malachi. Okay? Uh, Malachi is a book that uh, the prophet Malachi wrote where he is 
speaking on behalf of God. Sorry, if you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. We've got folks that will make sure to get you one. We're going to look at two short passages today that will help us kind of talk about what is the distinctives of a Christian marriage. What's one thing that makes them incredibly uh, powerful, unique? So uh, Malachi uh, was written to Israel, and Israel has been uh, wrecking all of these covenants that God had created with them and for them. And so he's speaking into that, and we read Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. Malachi says, on behalf of God, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why. Why is God not willing to accept my offerings? Malachi says, It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. You see, one of the uniquenesses of a Christian marriage is that it's not a contract, it's a covenant. And covenants have some very important and distinct things that they entail, which I want to get to in just a minute. Uh, As Malachi is talking about this, Jesus winds up saying something very similar when he actually refers back to Genesis chapter 2. Read with me, flip back over with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to read Matthew chapter 19. Now the context with which uh, Jesus is speaking about marriage here is actually the context of divorce. Uh, Some Pharisees, which are the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they tend to be pretty conservative. And uh, Jesus is often in some squabbles with them. And uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're trying to trap him. And so they say, Jesus, tell us what you think about divorce. Uh, At the time, there was kind of two different camps within Judaism uh, with regards to divorce. Some had really liberal view. You could get divorced for pretty much any reason. Others was much more strict, and they're trying to, like, make Jesus choose. And uh, Jesus then speaks uh, these words into uh, this debate. Now, uh, we're not going to talk about divorce. This is the one thing that we don't have time to talk a whole lot about. I do want to make a couple of quick statements, though, about it, all right? Uh, Divorce is an unfortunate uh, reality Uh, For many folks within our society, about 40% of marriages end in divorce. Uh, And the numbers aren't all that different for the church, uh, which is saddened, uh, saddens all of us. Uh, God talks about divorce uh, always uh, in a negative way, okay? Uh, Divorce is never morally neutral. However, Jesus does give, the Bible does give a couple of uh, reasons that someone uh, could get divorced. Uh, the first is if you have, uh, if you're married to an unbelieving spouse that is not a follower of Jesus and they want to end the marriage. Uh, God won't hold you accountable for that. Uh, he says that that is okay for you to step out of that because your first allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. Uh, however, he doesn't give you the right to step out of that marriage if your spouse wants to stay married. Uh, the second reason is for adultery. Uh, Jesus, in fact, in this passage says, look, if, if your spouse steps out uh, sexually uh, on the marriage vows that you've made with another person in a physical relationship, that, uh, that is, is means. Now, he's not saying that you have to or even that you should in that scenario. In fact, I actually think God wants us, even in the midst of that level of betrayal, to continue to pursue and honor the covenant. But he does give us an opportunity out. Now, maybe you're asking the question, what, what about... What about abuse? Um, 
I, I will admit that the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about abuse, but I do think that the Bible talks a lot about justice. And so I want to say just two things, especially, especially in the case of physical abuse. Uh, you need to talk to someone. In fact, you need to talk to two, two entities. One, uh, people in your church need to know because you need protection. You also need to talk to the authorities, all right? Uh, if physical abuse is taking place, uh, you need to talk to the authorities, to the police, uh, and you need to find a place of safety, get to a place of safety. And that's why the church and the authorities ought to be helping you do that, all right? Now, I can't talk a whole lot more and get into the nuance. We talked that, hey, relationships are messy. So I want to address that just at the outset, but I want to move us back into what makes Christian marriage unique, and that is covenant. And Jesus is going to describe what that covenant looked like when God first created marriage when he created Adam and Eve. Look with me in verse 4. He says, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no one separate. Uh, Jesus is showing that the concept of marriage that God created was intended to be between a man and a woman in a lifelong covenant. Uh, a covenant actually has some things that are different than what a marriage uh, contract uh, would actually look like. Uh, in the West, I, I will say, I think a lot of us, when we, when we view marriage, we kind of view marriage a little bit more in, in the idea of a contract. Uh, contracts and covenants are, are not the same thing. Um, let me give you some ideas of what a contract is. This stuff's going to be up on there, and I'm just going to fly through these. Uh, a contract is usually for a limited amount of time. Uh, a contract deals with specific actions. These are usually if-then type of understandings, right? If I do this, then you do that. If I get this, then you get that, okay? Uh, we understand uh, all about this kind of if-then language when we're talking about what a contract looks like for us in the West, what we would call a consumer relationship, a consumer contract. Last thing is they're always motivated by how it benefits me. Uh, we see this like with sports teams all the time, right? Like dudes trying to get his max contract. E even in your jobs, a lot of you work under contracts. Like uh, a contract is always to try to get the best thing for you. That's what a contract is intended to do. Covenants, though, the way the Bible describes them are very different. Covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. Covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. They're based on steadfast love, unconditional, and permanent. Steadfast love is the concept that you'll never give up. You won't stop loving. They're unconditional, so it's not about what the other person is doing. It's you've chosen to do this, and they're permanent. That's why we say, till death do us part. Uh, therefore, because they're permanent, right, they require confrontation. And massive amounts of forgiveness for covenants to work well. Tim Keller uh, describes this kind of Western idea of what a, a contract is versus a covenant. All right, He calls them consumer relationships, but same idea, contract, consumer relationship. He says, consumer relationships operate out of a mindset that essentially says, adjust to me or I'm out of here. In a consumer relationship, my needs are more important to me than the relationship. Covenant relationships, however, operate out of the biblical mindset that states, I will adjust to you, and I'm not going anywhere. 
in a covenant relationship, my needs are not as important to me as the good of the relationship. In the Old Testament, uh, the word covenant actually means to cut. Uh, the way that a covenant was established is they would take an animal. This is going to sound kind of gruesome, but this is, uh, certainly paints a very vivid picture uh, of what a covenant intended. And they would take the animal and, and, and cut it in two. And they would take the, the pieces of the animal, each side, and they would make a space that you could walk through. And the people that were entering the covenant would walk between the two pieces of the animal in a way to say to God, God, do this to me. If I ever go back on my covenant, if I go back on my covenant with this person or with you, uh, certainly that's a pretty intense way to describe a covenant. But I do think that it kind of helps us understand what covenant actually entails, the permanence, the, the, the high bar and calling that it sets for us. Uh, what a covenant actually does I said I want to give you a little bit of the uniqueness of a marriage, a Christian marriage. That uniqueness is this concept of covenant, okay, that it's permanent. But I want to explain to you why covenant matters, what it actually does. You see, covenant actually provides safety and security for those who are in it. Because you know the other person's in it with you. It's not an if-then contract. It's something that's permanent that we're in for the long haul. Uh, I did a little bit of research on what happens for kids that don't have a sense of safety and security in their home. Uh, we, we see this with a lot of ch children, unfortunately, right? Where maybe they're unsure uh, where the next meal is going to come from. Or they're unsure if dad's actually going to be there uh, when they get home. Uh, or maybe they're afraid uh, of their parents because of abuse that's taking place in the home. When, when there isn't a sense of safety and security in the home, uh, kids begin to have their growth stunted emotionally, mentally, physically. They develop anxiety and a severe distrust of others. That's exactly what happens within a marriage when it's seen more from a contract, where I'm not sure if my spouse is actually going to be in there with me for the long haul. Right, Because none of us are perfect. All of us bring junk into the marriage, even when we don't intend to, even when we don't want to. And so what covenant does is it actually provides a place of safety and security that even in spite of my junk, my mess, my partner, my spouse is not leaving me. They're not going to run away. They're going to stick it out, and we're going to work on this thing together. Um, I, I hurt Brenda's safety and security. Uh, I'm going to tell you the reason that I actually think I had this nightmare. Um, when Brenda and I were dating, uh, before we got engaged, or maybe it was after we got engaged, uh, I shared with her at one point um, my struggle with pornography. And uh, I assumed that when we got married, um, that Brenda was going to be like my best friend, uh, much in the same way that uh, my guy friends were for me. Uh, I hated uh, my struggle with pornography. Uh, and when I fell, I would go to my guy friends and I'd be like, yo, man, like this happened. I need to confess it. Uh, I want your help. Like walk with me. And they'd be like, yeah, man, we're so in with you. Like we're, you know, like, hey, we're fighting this thing together. And uh, we had been married for uh, a number of months at this point. Brenda went away for a weekend to visit her brother uh, and sister-in-law out west. And, uh, and I fell into the pit. And uh, I was so 
uh, sad, uh, embarrassed, uh, disappointed uh, in myself, uh, certainly a sense of shame and guilt. And Brenda came home, uh, and I confessed it to her. I said, babe, this happened. And I thought she would be like one of my guy friends, right? Like, oh, babe, it's okay. Like, yeah, like we're in this together. Uh, obviously, that's incredibly stupid and naive that I would think that, um, that she could just meet me like a guy friend would. Uh, it was devastating uh, for Brenda. Uh, she had four brothers uh, growing up, but her, her brothers are, they're really good dudes, and so she just assumed that that was nothing that they would ever struggle with, and uh, she assumed that, that that would be the case for me as well, and the fact that I had mentioned it once, man, it was probably like this one-time thing that happened, and and the fact that, that it wasn't was, honestly, it rocked her world. Uh, Brenda is, if you've ever hung out with her, uh, you would know this, especially her good friends. Um, she's like a really good person, like legit, okay? And uh, for her, like, she started to think, like, I, I don't struggle. Like, she didn't have any big, quote-unquote, sins, okay? At least that's what I think she kind of thought uh, at the time. Certainly nothing like what I was struggling with. And, and I think she began to think, like, man, this stinks. Like, I, like, like he's got these huge issues, and I, I don't. And I think she kind of began to resent me uh, a little bit. And, and, and I, I think subconsciously I started to sense that in our relationship, where I wasn't sure 100% if she was going to stick with me. Uh, I, I certainly knew I, I didn't deserve her. I didn't deserve her from the beginning. I didn't deserve her now. But I think one of the reasons I started to have that nightmare was because uh, I didn't know if she was really committed to the covenant of our marriage. Now, she handled things great a few years after uh, this, I had first shared this with her. Uh, I realized that it wasn't going away, and I said, man, I, I need to really deal with this. And I came to her again, and I said, babe, I think we need to, I need to see a counselor and we decided it was good for both of us to see a counselor. And we really started working on this. And I started really battling and uh, putting some real things into my life that were going to help me with it. But I don't have the story like some folks do. Uh, I know it's a, it's a minority of stories. But, but I have a friend who it was a huge issue in their marriage. And he dealt with it, went to a counselor, started fighting. And it's just not a struggle for him anymore. I'm not saying he's never tempted. But his ability to like not go there is pretty easy. Uh, most folks I know have a story that's similar to mine, where they're like, yo, I, I'm, I'm going to fight this till the day I die. Uh, that was a hard thing, though, a painful thing. It's still difficult uh, at times in our marriage. But what happened is I think it started to build up uh, some resentment um, for Brenda. And uh, I don't want to give, like, a, a, a false impression. Our marriage wasn't, like, some fake sham of a marriage and, like, awful all the time. Honestly, most of the time our marriage... Uh, was quite good. Uh, we had like amazing times of just togetherness and closeness and uh, really fun times partnering in ministry together, lots of laughs and uh, great memories and fun raising our kids together. But it also wasn't always like puppies and rainbows. And uh, that became kind of a, a reality uh, for us that I think we kind of would pop back in and out of. I, I will admit there was times I was just afraid uh, Brenda wasn't going to stick with me. Because I'm selfish, and I'm sinful, and I make mistakes. And what God eventually began to do was also show Brenda that uh, she too was selfish and sinful. 
and uh, she's going to share with you a little bit of her story in the last few years. So I had to write it out, so thank you for allowing me to read it. Not that you had a choice, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, two years ago, God did a work in my heart, in my life, and in my marriage, and I didn't know I needed work. I was married 19 years. It was good. I had no idea that even in my good marriage, I was stuck in a pit. One day, Torn told me that his friend's wife, who's a licensed counselor, was going back to school to be a spiritual director in her 60s. A spiritual director is one who helps others um, see where God is leading or what God is saying to them. She needed to fulfill some hours of practice, and would I be interested in to meet with her for an hour per month? I figured, sure, I can help someone fulfill her hours, because that's, that's what I do, I help people. But I'm somewhat a stable person. Doesn't she need someone else who's more of a basket case? <laughs> I thought I was doing God and I was doing her a favor. I thought I'd talk about midlife issues for the next few years with her, you know. Was this midlife restlessness a holy restlessness or was it discontent? I'd talk about ministry things, maybe family of origin things. And we did talk about those things eventually, but God wanted to deal with some heart issues that I did not know I had. So during our sessions, she lights a candle. I know it sounds a little strange, but it is a symbol of inviting the Holy Spirit to come and work. She had me pray quietly, asking God what he had in store for me that session. Now you know, or maybe you don't know, that God speaks through scripture, his word, the Bible. He also uses people in the church, the body of Christ, to help us. And there are times that he speaks, speaks directly to us. It was only a few times that he has undeniably spoken to me. And this one day, I felt like he was str I was struggling with him for like 10 minutes, but I'm sure it was only less than a minute. God wanted me to bring up some powerful, confusing hurts that happened when I was younger. I don't like psychoanalyzing things. I say, let the past be the past. I knew the past didn't define me, but wow, it definitely affected my thinking and my mindset. I didn't know there was unforgiveness, massive amounts of pride, and that those things were enslaving my marriage. They were enslaving me and enslaving the man I loved the most, and it was, a poisoning. It was poisoning my mind. She had me go through an exercise when I wrote down things of my false self, what lies I believed about myself. Oh, man, it was so, such an ugly, ugly list of lies. If one of the girls who I was discipling believed the things that I believed about myself, I'd immediately tear up her list, I'd burn it, and I'd pray over that sweet soul. Yet I was drinking the poison, the lies. I did not have a mad, bad marriage. In fact, it was quite the contrary. We had a solid marriage, but my negative self-talk, my pride, my self-righteousness often made me think that I was better than Torn, that any issues we had in marriage were due to him. I learned that dissatisfaction in marriage actually can often stem from self-hatred. This is so vulnerable for me to share right now. I joke that Torin is a chronic oversharer <laughs> and that I am a chronic undershare. And uh, I don't want people to know what's going on inside of me. I only want you to see the good side. For me to share my failures means I could look less in your eyes. Therefore, I only will present what I think you'd like to see. And so if I don't share my self-loathing, then you'll like me. I mean, who likes a Debbie Downer? <laughs> I had to repent and ask God to help me forgive people in my past. I didn't even know that there was unforgiveness there. I had to repent and ask God to help recalibrate my thinking. I had to ask him to help me to love how he created me to be. Here's an excerpt from my journal that day. I've kept a journal since third grade, like every, yeah, every year of my life since then. It's, it's, it's come a long way. Like in third grade, it was like, <laughs> dear diary, you know, Corey's so cute. I'm going to marry him. 
I'm going to name my kids Isabella and all that stuff. But I heard, I heard Corey W's in jail lately. So, <laughs> so that's a good thing. So, it could have been worse, folks. That's yeah, what she yeah, said. Yeah, could've yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is my excerpt from the journal that day, two years ago. I met with my spiritual director two days ago, and she went through a renouncing and refilling time with me. It was wildly impactful. I can only describe it as a huge, snuggly hug from God. I was overcome with emotion when I sensed that he was telling me that I am deeply and wholly loved by him. My director said I needed to renounce shame and pride and fill it with the fruit of the spirit of joy and humility. Not a broken humility, not a false one. Humility comes when we realize that God's love is always enough, always. I told her that the warmth I felt after praying, the forgiveness I experienced after renouncing and refilling was the most amazing feeling, not unlike when I accepted Jesus as my Lord at 18 years old. Overwhelmed, grateful, thankful, renewed. From that day two years ago, I've never experienced freedom in marriage like I do now. The spiritual battle is real. The enemy doesn't want us to experience the fullness of life in Christ. A follower of Christ will be fulfilled in living faithfully to God, not solely being married to the right person. The better choice than to run from marriage is to change oneself. I am a better wife and find more fulfillment when I work on letting God change me and when I work on me. Gary Thomas is like one of my heroes. He's a favorite author in relationships and marriage. And there's going to be a quote up on the, on the screen. He says, quote, Behind virtually every case of marital dissatisfaction lies unrepented sin. I wouldn't be surprised if many marriages end largely because one or both partners are running from their own revealed weakness as much as they're running from something they can't tolerate in their spouse. That was me. Whenever times would come when I was completely dissatisfied in marriage, I quickly blamed Torrin. I didn't see my blind spots. It took God using a sister in Christ for me to see my sin. I didn't know that my sin was oppressing this marriage. This by no means minimizes Torrin's sin, but my self-righteousness was blinding my eyes to what a full marriage could be. Torrin fights actively against this struggle. He has accountability, he sees a counselor, and he sees a mentor and other brothers in Christ. When you're dating, you bring the best cards to the table, presenting the best Instagram answers. We joke that because I don't know what that she, means. Yeah, she's not but, on social media at all, so she does not have any idea what an Instagram But that's was, like but fake stuff, right? Yeah, you present, <laughs> you present fake stuff. Everything's fake. But, but marriage is a mirror exposing the flaws and characteristics you don't want to see. God revealed that I have a deep struggle with pride. I was believing that I can do this all on my own. I don't need people. Maybe I have a theory that people like me are difficult to marry because they can do everything on their own. I don't know that's true, right? <laughs> it's not true, but. Okay. Um, it's like saying my goodness comes from me. Some practical things that I have learned. I had to be pliable, asking, praying, begging God to reveal weaknesses and sins in myself. I had to see a therapist and a counselor. They're able to point out blind spots, and I had to forgive. We tell our premarital friends the most powerful words are these seven words. I am sorry, will you forgive me? So for us oldlyweds, I want to encourage you that your marriage can actually grow and be better. The intimacy, the emotional side of marriage can grow when we allow God to come into our hurts and use those hurts to bond our hearts. So the moral of our story today, you can teach an old dog new tricks, or in this case, a middle-aged fox, okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I know what you're trying to say. Um, 
Some of you maybe have only been married for a few years. Uh, Some of you have maybe been married longer than we have. Uh, Maybe already you're asking the question like, is this just what it is? Am Am I just stuck here? And what we've learned over the years is that God's not finished with either one of us. And the covenant that we made between one another and God has actually provided the safety and longevity necessary for God to begin a new work in each of our hearts. And trust me, we have not arrived. (laughs) There's a long way to go for both of us still. Uh, But this is something that God did in Brenda's life after 18 years of being married together. And it's radically transformed uh, our marriage, our relationship. Um, God is still willing to transform you as well. God is still willing to transform your marriage, if you're willing. Uh, Our marriage, honestly, has never been better. It's not perfect, okay? But uh, the security that we feel for one another, like it's never been stronger. The, The sex has never been better. All right, the, the trust has never been better. Our lives have never been better. And, and maybe you're sitting here saying like, all right, T, like that's cool and all, but uh, how do I actually start to grow? Like what, what do I do in this place, in this space? Because like it's been stuck there for so long, I don't even know what to do. Well, one of the privileges Brenda and I have is uh, I get to perform a number of weddings, all right? We get to do premarital counseling uh, with folks that, that we're officiating the wedding for, and that means that we're often uh, reading uh, great marriage books. Uh, one of the books that we use is a book called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts by Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott, Dr. Les and Dr. Leslie. Uh, they, they wrote a great book, and, and in the book, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, which quite honestly, it's probably a better book to read after you're married, but great to read before too, uh, they say, uh, they share, excuse me, uh, Sternberg's theory of love okay it's a triangle it's actually going to be up on the screen and I want to talk through it just real briefly and then Brenda's actually going to give you some really really practical ways that you can begin to grow in these areas basically the theory says this a great love a covenant love relationship has three sides and in an ideal covenant love relationship those three sides are equilateral okay they're they're the same Uh, They need that to support each other. When our marriages get out of whack, it's usually because we're not focusing on one of those or one of those sides is starting to really atrophy and get smaller. So there are three sides. uh, I'm going to start on the bottom right of the screen, commitment. Commitment is the intellectual side of the relationship. So this is the decisions that we make to stay committed mentally, physically, emotionally. That's kind of like the intellectual side of the relationship, commitment. The next side is the passion side, all right? That's the biological side of the relationship. So that's like the romance, the physical attraction, the sexual connection. That's the passion side. The third side is intimacy. This is the emotional side of our relationship. So this is the closeness, the sense of connection, the emotional bondedness that we all feel. And together, this covenant love relationship actually helps us or allows us to fulfill the needs of our partner. 
So uh, Brenda's going to share with you some really practical ways. You're like, all right, that's fine. But like, if I stink at this thing, what, what can I actually do to start growing in that area? And remember, a covenant relationship requires that you bring all of yourself to it. It's not there for what you can get from it. It's there for what you can give to it. So don't start listing all the ways or all the things that your partner needs to hear. All right. Start thinking about the things that you need to do to grow this part in your life. Bryn, why don't you share some of those practical ways? So, yes, the triangle by Sternberg, um, the super smart yellow guy, right? Um, (laughs) So each side matters because it supports each other and is necessary for the growth of the relationship. So that triangle is up there. Okay, first, um, I'm very pragmatic, so I like practical steps. So commitment, some practical steps um, would be meeting your partner's needs, honor your partner's promise, and making your commitment part of your being. So what does that look like? I'm sure some of you have let me heard. Say, if you're a note taker, these are the things to take notes on. Yes. If you can't write fast, pull out your phone, take snap a picture. a picture, okay? You can yes. come back to it. Sorry, baby. Go. No, you're good. Um, so there's, I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. Buy it. I'm a big book person. Read it or have Audible read it to you, right? Is that Audible? Yeah, Audible. Okay, that's a thing. And um, <laughs> you can also, or you can Google it. You can Google Five Love Languages, see what it is. But honestly, so physical touch, gifts, words of affirmation, service, quality time. Know what your spouse's love language is and speak it. Please do it, people. Dr. Chapman has helped so many people. He's helped us. Mm-hmm. And those are, those really help them with, um, help people with the commitment. So that's kind of speaking into the little p- bit part of the commitment um, side of things. Uh, another practical thing you think about is, so being married, you have a ring, hopefully. I know they have tattoos these days, so this wouldn't necessarily <laughs> work. But, um, you know, a practical or a tactical way to remember it is, like, you're committed. There's no beginning. There's no end to this ring. Um, if you have to, if, there, if it's during a fight, if you have to just touch it and roll it in your hand, do it. <laughs> um, one, one of the things that we've, um, uh, we're, we haven't, started doing ourselves, but I actually think would be really, really cool, is to uh, take our vows out uh, every anniversary and just say our vows to one another again. Like, if your marriage is really rough and, like, this is an area that you're like, man, I'm barely in this thing, then maybe for you, you need to do that every week. Remember last week we talked about the whole dialogue daily, Mm -hmm. date weekly, depart quarterly. Um, Pull those out and remind yourself. All right, maybe you're not even at a place where you can read them to your spouse right now. Pull them out and read them to yourself then. Um, Those are some great, really practical ways you're like, hey, I can begin to grow my level of And I don't think, and I know we didn't think our vows meant a lot. They mean a lot. But I just use my friends. I literally was like, oh, I'll photocopy this. Remember, I told you I didn't read them until I I showed up for the wedding the day before. So I do want to say, put a lot more weight and thought into it. Please. Please. Thank you. Okay. But if you didn't? Write some new ones. Find yes. some really good ones yes, and yes, own yes, them yes, and say, yes, these yes. are ours now. Yeah. Like, all right, Absolutely. go for it. Okay, uh, the other side of the triangle would be the passion side. Um, three points there. Practice meaningful touch. Plan mutually enjoyable experiences and compliment your partner daily. So some things within that. Um, so within the context of marriage, sex is good. Have sex and have it often and have it regularly. My kids' heads are down right now. But you know what? Kids need to know that healthy marriages, you have sexual interaction and it is made of God. So do it. Um, I know that's easier said if if some of you have issues Mm -hmm. and I would say definitely see a therapist. Um, I'm all about that. Um, But practice meaningful touch. It doesn't, not every touch has to be a sexual touch. 
I'm, I'm a touch person, so Torn knows like holding my hand is important and things like that. Um, compliment your partner daily. Like, <laughs> complimenting your partner daily. We kind of like did this um, exercise on Friday on our date. It seemed a little awkward, but get used to it. Like, the more and more you do these things, it yeah. just gets easier. So we like looked in each other's eyes and we told each other compliments. And it's like, a actually, what happened was, <laughs> we were on our date and we were talking through this. And so I was like, all right, we talked about complimenting. So I looked at her and I was like, and I gave her this wonderful compliment. I was telling her how much I, what I appreciate about her and work with this thing that she's good in. And then there was silence. And, and I was like, just waiting for a really long time. Finally, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah I need to say something to you okay, too. Okay, so God so. makes people different. <laughs> in that, in that torrent is a verbal processor. He can like, blah, blah, blah. he can word bomb it. And, like, I need time, I need to process it, then it eventually comes out. So, <laughs> yes, compliments eventually came out. Okay. Um, <laughs> intimacy is the emotional side of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Three things there. Spending time together, practice unconditional acceptance, and put down your phone and listen. Especially in this day and age, mm -hmm. put down your phone and listen. Please, please, please. Um, practice unconditional acceptance. As a woman, mm -hmm. guys, please know this. Guys, husbands, please know that women need to be cherished. Mm -hmm. Women need to have noticed, have you noticed that their words have weight and that they are accepted? And I know the whole, like, love and respect thing, oh, it's really important to guys, and it is, but it's super important to women as well. Absolutely. To respect their words and know that, you know, what they say and what they, what they mean and do is very important. Mm -hmm. um, and spending time together, it seems like a no-brainer, but spend time with your spouse as opposed to, like, your bros all the time, and it's just, yeah, it, it bonds intimacy, and yeah. there's, there are mutual things. There are things that you did when you were dating that you can do now, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, the putting your phone down, like, honestly, this is not a problem for Brenda, all right? She doesn't do the socials. Uh, it's definitely a problem for me, and so a lot of times in the evening, uh, she'll say, Torn, I need five minutes. Put your phone away, all right? And I will. Uh, I'll literally, I have to put it away somewhere. Uh, and, and that way we can have our dialogue daily piece, all right, where we just connect and talk about what's going on. She can share with some stuff with me of how the day was, and she wants to hear how my day was. And, um, so those, those are important ways that you can begin to build intimacy. So those are some really practical ways, uh, mm -hmm. but it made a big difference in, in our relationship uh, as well. So. Yeah. so Torin wrote me a letter on our 20th anniversary last year, and it said a line about... Quote, I've never felt more secure in my marriage. And that just broke me. Because it obviously took 20 years for me to find freedom from my sin. <clears throat> in some sense, I was being a tool of spiritual oppression. And that is a sad fact. I'm so grateful that God is so kind in allowing me to have more time to be better at this marriage thing. I just want to encourage you, um, you guys who are newlyweds or oldlyweds or going to be weds, to give the Holy Spirit space in your life, um, in your marriage, if you're married right now, because it will take time. It will take time. God works in great ways, but I'm so super stubborn that he needed to speak to me and whisper to me um, after decades, actually. Um, so give him space. We want to just simply close just by saying, look, um, God wants to do a work in each of our lives. And how God is working with us in our marriage covenants is, uh, is often a difference maker in what happens, not just in our marriages, but 
in the marriages that are going to come behind us. The, the picture that our children and other kids in our churches, in our church family get to see uh, is often shaped by the marriages that were around them. And uh, God can do a miraculous, amazing, unbelievable things that we can't begin to imagine. Uh, God specializes in taking dead things and bringing them back to life. It's what he does. And so uh, we simply want to remind you today that when your covenant includes God, God then has space to do things that we could never believe possible. And I want you guys to know that. He's continuing to do it for Brenda and I. Um, I don't deserve her. Uh, I always knew whenever I went to an interview, I should bring my wife because if they meet her, I'm much more likely to get hired. Uh, I always felt the same way when I was interacting with somebody that I wanted to have as a friend. If they met Brenda, they would probably want to be my friend because I'm connected to her. Uh, I love this woman and I'm so grateful, but we are not perfect and we have not arrived and God still has work for us to do. Uh, but there is nothing that makes me more excited uh, than that continued growth uh, for the rest of our lives. And it is because of the uniqueness of Christian marriage, the covenant that comes with that, the self-giving love that we learned about last week, uh, that it continues to allow us to grow deeper and deeper into that place. Hey, let's pray. God, thanks just for the privilege we have of opening up your word and being reminded uh, that marriage is something that you created. That God, it is a one flesh covenant that two people make with each other and with you. And God, anytime that you're a part of our covenant relationship, there's always hope. And we thank you for that. Thanks for never giving up on us. Thanks for the grace that you continually shower on our lives. Thank you for the unconditional love you shower on our lives. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus led the way in self-giving love. And we sloppily and imperfectly try to follow that model that was laid down. Thanks for loving us and God continue to do a work. We love you in response. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.